0: Hey man. Welcome back to 3peat Sports. I am your host, Ian Monge. I believe this is episode 9 of 3peat Sports. I'm a I'm a actually double check that. I'm actually not 100% sure about that. We are on ah oh Jesus Christ. I have to go through. All right, episode 9. We're almost we're almost there to 10. We should be past that, but uh I always take these extended breaks but it feels like this is the the quickest I've came back in uh, I'll just say a while and uh, I'll, I'll just put it like this like I, I really like the the radio show that I'm doing that's been really fun every every Tuesday from four to five Arizona time on blaze radio online you could tune in to me will Horan, Griffin Greenberg on our radio show that's where you'll get a bulk of our NBA opinions and thoughts and whatnot keeping up with the league. And, uh, I'm glad I could use that as the resource because let's be honest, I've been really bad at coming back to the podcast, but, uh, I've had a lot of thoughts that I know that we're not going to reach, uh, to our, in our next show. So I, I figured that I'd write some stuff down. Uh, again, I hope you guys are doing well. It hasn't been that bad of a, of a last couple of weeks. I I've been. It's been the same stuff with school and work and whatnot, but I've, I've been feeling good. I've been feeling good. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give this to other people. Don't have your, uh, your well-being fully rely on your favorite teams. Uh, I'm still trying to com- compartmentalize my emotions with all of this stuff, but I, I feel like I'm in a good place right now where I could kind of just sit back and, uh, m- you know, maybe not until playoffs, but I'm in a good spot right now. Um, I guess we may as well just jump into it. I have a bunch of notes written down. I have a bunch of stuff just just ready. You know, the Western Conference this year, as we all know, and what has been reiterated over and over again on the radio show, the Western Conference is pretty crazy. It's really close. I believe the the five through eight seeds, I'll double check that. I believe they all have the same amount of losses. Let's see. 5th seed, 38, 6th, 38, 7th, 38. (laughs) Oh my God, the Pelicans, 38. So it's going to be a a down to the wire finish in the Western Conference. And there's really, you know, you have a couple of good teams there that aren't, uh, that don't scare a whole lot of fan bases. And, you know, there's certain teams that, uh, that scare others and that just makes a makes for a wide open western conference that we're just simply not seeing in the eastern conference and i think that we can all i think we can all agree that it's the milwaukee bucks boston celtics and i guess we could throw in the philadelphia 76ers as you know that that's the expectation is one of those two or three teams end up coming out of the eastern conference but we have no idea what's going to be happening in the west so i figure I don't want to say I have it titled as the case for and against each team to make a finals run, and I let's just put it like this: I don't believe that any team, uh, at least some of these back end teams, have a shot at it, and it's hard to make a case for them. I'll just say, you know, when it comes to matchups, I, why they there'll be diff, there'll be a difficult out, and why they can make a run, maybe not a finals run, but just a good playoff run. And um, I have 11 teams up here, which includes the 11th-seeded Dallas Mavericks, which I guess will start there. I kind of don't want to wait till the end of the episode. feels like I've brought up Dallas a number of times on not only the radio show, but I've talked extensively about the Dallas Mavericks dating back to when Kristaps Porzingis was still a member of the team. And that was in the COVID year, I believe. But uh, it, it's not been good for the dallas mavericks much at all they are on a three-game losing streak uh they are five games below 500 they are one game back of the 10th seeded okc thunder and if those teams were to tie they would uh they would not make the playoffs the thunder would uh be in the plan instead because they own the tiebreaker and uh i guess you still have to be worried about facing a Luka Doncic and a Kyrie Irving and you know that's even the it's a little bit of a stretch to say too Uh, you know those two guys are extremely talented and they're difficult out simply because of the talent level that they have you could also just say that you know there's good cash and shoot guys here you know Reggie Bullock has has fallen off a little bit this year unless he plays against the LA Clippers and that's uh you don't like the streakiness of him or Hardaway Or even Maxi Kleba, but I think that those guys have the ability of doing so, and we've seen that in multiple playoff series for them. I would also say that there's good scoring punches for this team outside of Kyrie and Luka Doncic, who are always going to get their own. You know, from Tim Hardaway, who can, you know, shoot off the dribble a lot better than people would think. Christian Wood can also do some pretty nice work on the perimeter. Jaden Hardy has been really nice in the last couple of weeks, uh, displaying that, uh, I guess you could say that young tendency of just shooting a bunch of step-back threes and whatnot, but he has been pretty efficient on that end. And I guess that's all the positives that you could say. I think we all understood that once they traded away Dorian Finney-Smith, that it was going to be an uphill battle for them. And that's where a lot of the blame is going to be put, is that uh is the defensive personnel and how it's not a well-built defense and that the dorian finney smith is i think it's dramatized a little bit more especially since they are on this really bad defensive run but even with dorian finney smith they were still a bottom five defense in the league you know defensive rating wise but even then you could use the eye test as well and just say hey it's not as crisp as it was and that's what I've always reiterated especially on the radio show that Jason Kidd has ran the same system for so many years dating back to Brooklyn uh, and Milwaukee where it's a bunch of double teams on the ball handlers that forces them into quick decisions and quicker shots and that would allow the Jason Kidd led team to run out and transition and get some easy layups at the other end or some nice wide open three point shots that's always been the system for him but in each of his uh, each of his tenures it's always been the first year that has been good and then there's been no sort of evolution to the defensive scheme and it's maximized or I would just say dramatized, more dramatized when there's not uh, a good on-ball defender for this Dallas Mavericks team right now. And, you know, that certainly doesn't help anything, but I would also just say that Luka ball, I, I call it, is not effective. It's very com- comparable to uh, a James Harden when he was in Houston. Uh, you know, it's it's not a very good... Uh, it's not a very good way, a viable way to, to win championships, which is what they have aspirations of I went ahead and looked at his usage rate this year he's at a 37.6 percent and in case you don't know a usage rate is the amount of times that in a possession it either ends with him getting an assist or uh, a shot attempt and you could go to his entire career honestly you could look at this last four seasons Those last four seasons, when it comes to his usage rate, are in the top 20 all the time. Which is pretty high. And you kind of just look at the usage rate for each player uh, in the top 100. The only guy in the top 100 that has won a championship with a, a usage rate of 35 or higher... Well, 35 or higher is nobody but in that top 100 where the lowest is a 32.69 it's only been michael jordan that has won a championship in that same year where he has a high usage rate and uh that may not be the most uh, uh, effective stat when it comes to uh winning a championship but there there is something to say that uh there's got to be better dispersion of the ball uh allowing other guys to create for themselves allowing other guys to impact the game offensively and uh, Luka doesn't really allow that and I just simply put I didn't really believe in James Harden all those years ago in Houston and I don't really believe in Luka at this point when it comes to a championship setting you know Kyrie seems to not be thrilled with playing with him neither is JaVale McGee or Tim Hardaway that's been reported there's a clear disliking and a clear disconnect and that's, that's ultimately what's going to be the downfall for this season. And it's especially risky knowing that Kyrie is just a weirdo. You have no idea what's going to uh, come out of his mouth next. You have no idea what decision he's going to make at, you know, at any point in time. Shoot, I could see him signing a, a minimum contract with a championship contender in the offseason if need be. I can't ever rule anything out with him. And especially in such a bad situation that has already got on to Kyrie's bad side, you kind of just, you worry a little bit of of just that long-term pairing. And I'm not so sure that they make the playoffs. And if they do, I guess, like, you should still be worried about the concept of Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic, two legitimate scorers in the league, two of the best players in the league. Still have to account for them, but they're not. uh, They've never been a threat. I'll just put it like that. They had a good run last year, and that was, you know, they played well. But there was, that was, it felt like a one-off. There's something still wrong with this team that needs to be solved. Uh, almost immediately, they they need to have that guarantee that Kyrie Irving will be back on this squad. Otherwise, you could really start to picture these uh, Luka Doncic trade rumors for the next couple of years. Jesus, that was only 10 minutes of the podcast. That's crazy. All right, we'll try to make this under like an hour 15, an hour 20. We'll go with the Nuggets real quick, Uh, the the one seed in the West at a... 52 and 26 record it's been a good year for them they're the best team in the west they've been the best team in the west all year and i guess when it comes to i guess my principles or my guidelines when it comes to a championship contender they they have it they have a, a top five player top 10 player in the league in nikola Jokic, who i you know the mvp this year is still in question but he's definitely in the running for it you have some pretty good supporting scorers with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. You have fine defenders with Aaron Gordon, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Bruce Brown. It's a pretty good team, just like on the surface. I know that not, not a lot of teams believe in them, but I think that they have the necessary continuity that has to be present within a championship contender, or should I say, I'll just say a championship winner. They have the necessary continuity to do so, especially with those core three players that have been there for such a long time. And uh, I'll just put it like, as much as uh, as much of a good team as they are, I think schematically they're just they're fucked. I'll just put it like that. They run a defensive scheme over there, which you know in the pick and roll they run a drop coverage which means that the, the person guarding the, the pick setter has responsibilities uh, in between the, the rim. And that's pretty much his main priority. The main thing is, you know, to try to give up the mid-range jump shot. And uh, Nikola Jokic is, has always been really bad when it comes to how far low he has to drop, especially since he, he got abused in the last two playoffs it, especially in that pick and roll situation where if he drops too low, it easily allows a mid-range jump shot for the likes of a Chris Paul, a Steph Curry, a Clay, a Jordan Poole, a Book. Or he's too far high to where it, it's almost unexpected that he was as he's as high as he is on the pick and roll, and it simply allows the big man uh, to just have an easy finish or have somebody else commit a foul in order to you know bail him out he's gotten some deflections here and there and you can at least applaud that that he's actually making uh defensive plays a little bit more but i really don't trust him at all not to mention that their backup center is just as bad if not worse defensively was thomas bryant And you worry if they have to if they do have to go small, and they certainly have personnel to do it with Bruce Brown. But you're not going to take Nikola Jokic; you're going to have to take out Michael Porter Jr. And uh, yeah, that's that's an issue that uh, their three best players are just close to zeros on the defensive end. Not only you know in the pick and roll, which you know it's going to be an issue for a lot of teams especially since so many teams run a drop coverage in the pick and roll they frequently give up the corner three-point shot and now they have the defensive personnel like a kcp to have a good closeout in the corner but i think that's still going to be their most vulnerable spot on the court it's it consists of drop coverage uh in not hard hard blitzes but you know some a soft double on the wings which then leaves the corners wide open and the last two playoff series they were able, those teams in the warriors and the phoenix suns were able to take advantage of those corner three point shots that eventually won them the series and that's that's not very good especially in a playoff setting where things are going to be sped up a little bit more you're going to have to get a little bit more effort out of guys like Michael Porter Jr., Jokic, Jamal Murray. I think that's my main concern with them. I I think that they're really fucked defensively. As good as I think that Bruce Brown is on the defensive end, I just don't think it's enough. As well as I I see too many games of, you know, nine-point performances by Michael Porter Jr. or 13-point performances by Jamal Murray, I, I think that they'll... Raise that a little bit more in the playoffs, but I think that's just something to monitor. That they're not, they've not been able to, uh, they haven't been able to hit the ground running as as well as we thought. And I guess, you know, there's certain players that are able to do that better than others, but, uh, that's, that's been relatively disappointing. That, uh, it's not the, it hasn't been fantastic for them. And that's, the nitpicky stuff that uh you know if you want to point out and call it a legit concern that's fine but i i i think it's the defensive schematics that worry me the most all right where do we want to go do we want to keep going like we'll go with the the okc thunder the youngest team here uh, they're the tenth seed right now. They are at a thirty-eight and forty-one record. They've had some very good wins uh, on their schedule, especially with wins against the Lakers a number of times. You know, albeit you know, there's you know they had Russell Westbrook on the team, but they have been ultra competitive against some of the te- best teams in the league. And uh, I've always emphasized, you know, how youth can play to. Uh, or should I say inexperience can play to their strengths. They are already expected to not be a very good playoff team because they have no experience, which allows those guys to play with a clear mind. Emphasize that over and over again on this podcast, on the radio show. And, uh, you know, they're young and playing with a clear head, but, they, you know, they're just way younger and more... Uh, they're hungrier, I guess I'll say. Shea has been unguardable the entire year, and that, that plays into account with uh, the amount of fouls that he's drawn at the basket, averaging around 10 free throws a game. I I feel like I'm just always winging it. I know it's in the double digits when it comes to Shea Gilgis-Alexander's uh, play for this year. All right, 2022, 2023... Uh, he has attempted, oh yeah, just about 11 a game, 11 free throws a game on at a 91% clip. That's really good. And uh, Jalen Williams, the guard from Santa Clara, uh, he, he's been really good, especially in the last couple of weeks that uh, his efficiency has grown way more. He's been uh, much more sturdy as a defender. Giddy is playing versatile per usual as kind of, dare I say, like the Ben Simmons role where it's a bunch of playmaking and rebounding duties and, uh, you know, crafty finishes at the basket. Obviously not, you know, it doesn't have the athletic traits that a Ben Simmons does, but I think it's relatively fair to compare Giddy to what Simmons was able to do in his prime. And Isaiah Joe has been such a good piece for them. Uh, I think his three-point shooting is—I don't want to say fallen off, but it hasn't been as good as of uh, when the season was in like January and February. But uh, he's shooting 41% from three on five attempts per game. That's some really good. um, That's really good efficiency. He's had some really nice microwave moments uh, that has that really won them some games here you know the Lakers being one of them. Uh, they won a game recently against the suns and uh, he had a big fourth quarter where he had where he hit two or three key threes that gave him the lead near uh in the fourth quarter and that's he's an interesting piece. He's pretty cool and Lou Dort's defense is, has always been really good. Uh, the strength has always been bothersome with him. And uh, he, I think he's gotten better uh, from beyond the arc and it may not be as good as it was in his second year. I'll double check that again. Uh, oh, not not what I expected. Okay. He's hit a couple of big shots this year that make me think, oh, you know he's he's taking some steps. It's definitely not at the same efficiency. Um, he's only shooting 39% from the field 34% from three um, but I think he has pretty good I, I don't think that that's legit I think that he has some pretty good shooting tendencies and that it's just a down year for him I tend to believe in Lou Dort way more than the casual fan I guess I could say but uh, defense is always going to be a strong suit of his, and I'm excited for him. I think that he's a really good player that uh, has made the most out of all of his opportunities. But uh, I- I'm going to bring up youth again, especially for a team like the Kings, who we'll get into in, uh, in a little bit. As much as it's a strength, it- it's all it very much is a weakness. And the, the problem with the Thunder is We're not going to see Dario Sarge be playing big time minutes at all in the playoffs if they were to make the playoffs. It's really a crazy young group um, that, you know, it might just be a little too much when it comes to, I I don't want to say, I'll I'll say the inexperience. I put in um, immaturity, but I I don't think that's the case at all. Um, and again, Giddy is good, but you really worry about uh, in a tight game in the fourth quarter where he's not a very good shooter at all. He, I remember his draft profile. He was, it pretty much said that everything that he was doing on the court just was you know, average to below average. Yeah, he's shooting 33% from three. It's not very good. And 74% from the free throw line. It's not... Uh, uh, the jury's still out on him he very much has the IQ for it all but I just think that not being able to space the floor out especially when you already have Lou Dorton in the lineup at least as of you know this season it's, it's harder uh, for a guy like Shea to give another team buckets it's going to be very hard for uh, Jalen Williams to go get buckets for the team if everything is going to be clogged up and these guys can't hit the open shots um, there's no reliable big in the, on this team either. Like the the other Jalen Williams, uh, the center Jalen Williams only plays around 20 minutes a game, and Saric plays maybe 12 to 14 with the Thunder. And uh, Shet Holmgren's not going to play this season, so we could throw that out the door. That's I think they really do have to play small, and uh, with a big team like the. the Who are they playing? Who would they play? The Pelicans? Yeah, they would get... They would have a hard time. They would have a really hard time um, with the size. Same with the Wolves, who are there right now. I created this outline a couple days ago, and the Pelicans were the ninth seed. But still, size is going to be overwhelming for them. Unless Poku plays, and I'm not... I'm not too high on Poku at all. He's got some interesting intangibles, but... It, there, there's nothing entirely impressive to me about what Poku brings to the table. They're a fun story. There, uh, there's been a bunch of breakouts for this team with Shea, uh, J. Dub, and Isaiah Joe. But uh, I think it could give it another year before you know when Chet comes back. Maybe they make a move with all the draft picks that they have, especially with this new CBA stuff that's. It's total BS, and I think we'll get into it on the show soon. But again, I think the Thunder, are they're just a good story for this year. It's a feel-good story, but uh, I don't have any real expectations for this team in the playoffs this year. I think we'll go over to Memphis now. Memphis, the Pelicans. We'll start off with Memphis. Everything starts and ends with John Morant for this team. Takes up a lot of the attention, and rightly so. He is a, a superstar or a superstar in the making. I think that he's got uh, everything necessary to, to pose the... I think that he could definitely win a playoff series with this team. uh, Being the main guy. The last uh, playoff series he won, I think a lot of that was based off of Desmond Bain being really hot. But I think that John took his game to another level this year. That has gives me a lot more trust in him, as well as the defense, which has been very good all year long. They give up, you know, the opponent field goal percentage for this team uh, against this team is uh, the worst or best, I guess. Like it's a forty five percent opponent field goal percentage, which um, is the lowest out of any team. Um they also give up the ninth lowest opponent three point percentage. They've been very good defensively all year, and that's you know attributed to you know John Morant trying a little bit more on that end this year, Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks. As much as we don't like Dylan Brooks here, those guys have been very good on the perimeter. Jaron Jackson has had He's been averaging a steal in three blocks per game the entire year. He is somebody that you can easily trust uh, in a playoff setting, at least on the defensive side. And uh, Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks, they've both come alive a little bit more as of late. Uh, they've definitely been up and down the entire year on both ends of the floor. But those guys have come alive at the right time, and you, you only hope that it just it continues into the playoffs because man, they, they've been relatively disappointing in the playoffs. I know that Desmond Bain only had one legit uh, run in the playoffs as a rotation player, but it was definitely, you know, that first series that he had against the Wolves was definitely way better than the one that he had against the Warriors. Uh, same could be said for Dylan Brooks. But uh, as, as much as this team has, um, has the superstar necessary and some pretty good uh role players to go along with them? I really worry about the availability and the unavailability of Steven Adams. He's out right now with, I believe it's a sprained MCL, uh, and I think he's gonna get re- reevaluated at the end of this regular season. He's already been out a while. The team has held up really well. They're still the second seed. But uh, Steven Adams, for a majority of the year, played a big role in uh, the defense being as good as it was and uh, the offense being as smooth as it was simply because he's such a good screener. We all know that. We understand the strength that he has. But he's been a little bit more active on the defensive end. Uh, And just, you know, having two tall guys that are... As good at defense in the paint as Stephen Adams and Jaron Jackson are, it's pretty good. And you worry that you know that presence won't be available in the playoffs simply because he's hurt. But you also worry about the matchup. I don't think, I don't think he played much at all in that Warriors series last year. Again, I'll double check that. But I remember at one point he was taken out of the starting lineup. Uh, and I think was just moved to the bench. Um, God dang it. I keep messing up with when it comes to searching this stuff. Yeah, he, he only averaged 16 minutes a game uh, for the Grizzlies in the playoffs last year. He only had six points. No, not six points. That's 3.6 rebounds. Uh, In seven games, and if you remember, they played 12 games in the playoffs because they eliminated the Wolves in six, and then they got eliminated by the Warriors in six. So I think he was just completely out of the rotation in that Warriors series. And uh, you definitely worry in in certain matchups where it's a little bit smaller that uh, you you wonder how viable he would be in a playoff setting Uh, if you need Jaron Jackson at that center spot full time that's the main concern you know that's a big piece in the rotation and the depth is a little bit more shallow this year and uh that the depth while it may not be you know while depth may be the most overrated thing when it comes to uh talking about the playoffs you at least need seven or eight guys that you could have some trust in and uh I don't have too much trust in that bench right now. I think Tyus Jones, as good of a playmaker as he is, as uh, turnover-free as he is, he's a smaller point guard. I don't think that I could trust a number of these smaller point guards that don't have the athletic um, attributes that some of these other guards do can really fit in a playoff setting. Luke Kennard has been on fire uh, from beyond the arc. I think he's close to 50% on the year. He's shooting forty-eight percent from downtown this year, on six attempts a game. That is crazy good efficiency. But defensively, that's always been the thing with him. That's why he was out of the rotation for much of the playoffs when he was with the Clippers. Didn't play. T- I don't remember him playing too big of a role in the play-in games last year. Although that that could just be like something that I need to need to remember at some point. Uh, Santi Aldama has been good, but uh, offensively he's been very sporadic from beyond the arc, and that's something that is super valuable to playoff teams is stretching the floor. You Worry if he's able to do that on a consistent basis for them. Xavier Tillman has spent too much time in and out of the lineup. Same with Zaire Williams. Uh, John Conchar. They don't have DeAnthony Melton as one of the switchable guards that they have on their team there's not i don't there's not concern here there's not concern but i just worry that there's not enough what am i talking about they, they they might just they probably don't have enough in a playoff setting as good as the players might be there might just they might just be down too many people to the point where it gets questionable um if these guys could last a full finals run that's how I'll word it. There's I think that they might have a better shot next year uh than this year cuz I there's too much outside noise for them as well with that Ja Morant situation. So I like Memphis, another great story, another great team, but uh they don't have my full trust either. We'll go to the we'll go to a fun team. We'll go to the Kings who have been such a great story, they still have an opportunity to uh, get to 50 wins on the year, which would be the first time in a long time. I know that they haven't made the playoffs in 17 years, but I don't remember the last time that they had a 50-win year. Definitely not in the time when I was a fan, that's for sure. But um, again, youth plays to their strengths. Playing freely plays to their strengths. Everything starts and ends with De'Aaron Fox, who has been undeniably the best clutched player in the league this year. He's really made that floater of his such a key part of his game and such an efficient part of his game. And it's a, it's a really welcome sight to see, knowing that so many people wanted him off the team uh, to keep Halliburton. Uh, and, and De'Aaron has responded so damn well this year believe he's averaging 25 points per game on, I think, some relatively good splits. And I think that he has had a very good shooting season as well. Oh, no. He started off the season shooting like 40-something percent from downtown. It since fell to 33%, and I guess that's, the, that's the one part of his game that you could kind of take advantage of um, and leave him open a little bit more. But uh, there's, it's undeniable how good at, he has been this entire year. He's been instrumental in their success this year, as well as Demonis Sabonis, who has been probably a top five big this uh, this entire uh, this entire year. He has been. Oh, I keep trying to look up these stats, and I just have I don't know if I have arthritis, man. My, my typing has been terrible. Nineteen points, twelve boards, seven assists. It's been pretty good, man. That's that's damn near been a top five big in the league this year. And uh I think that's it's not been a whole lot of handoffs uh for him, unlike a Jokic. I think it's been legitimate entry passes, passes to cutters. Um not saying that he's a better playmaker than Jokic. It's just uh I, I I recognize the amount of handoffs that Jokic runs that turn into assists that I'm like, oh, is that really one? But uh, no, Sabonis has been fantastic on the offensive end this year. And I think best of all, you know, they have the offensive versatility with a traditional backcourt off the bench with Davion Mitchell, who has been fantastic this entire year, especially as just a lead point guard. And Malik Monk, who has been so good when it comes to clutch time three-point shooting and just being a all-around good scorer in general. Averaging 14 points, four assists, three boards on 45, 36, 89 shooting splits. That's pretty good, man. I really like um, Malik Monk in a playoff setting. And it's a balanced attack on every single end. They're good at the rim with a Sabonis there. They're good. Uh, in around that paint area with De'Aaron Fox, with how much he drives, you got good shooting everywhere with Kevin Herder, Harrison Barnes, uh, Malik Monk, Trey Lyles. It's a balanced attack with defensive versatility, and that may not be throughout the entire roster because you know Sabonis is a really he really sticks out as a bad defender and a guy that you could really feast on. Uh, in a playoff setting. And that's one of my biggest concerns with this team is he really needs to improve on that end to provide a, a higher ceiling for this team. But there is defensive versatility on the perimeter all around with Davion Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox, with his length and athleticism. Kevin Herter has been underrated on that end throughout his entire career. Uh, Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, those two guys are pretty good versatile defenders. Uh, there it's just a bunch of versatility and a bunch of balance throughout the roster that I just tend to gravitate towards more. I really like all around games, but, uh, Sabonis not being a plus on the defensive end and the same could be said for the backup bigs. That's an issue. I think that there's gotta be a better way to, uh, clog the paint without having some of your smaller guys always in the paint. Not sure any of them would do any any better. And again, the youth and experience stuff, you know that that could play to their strength, but it could also be a weakness. And uh, you know, some they have more experience than the OKC Thunder. I would say, you know, they got a guy that's won an NBA championship with uh, with Harrison Barnes uh, and Matthew Dellavedova. You got, and other than that, you got Kevin Herter that made a Conference Finals and Sabonis with, like, four first-round exits, it feels like. But, uh, again, they might just be another good story, but I think that they have the balance attack to where, you know, I think stuff could go right for them to where they could make another finals run. I really like what I see from them, but there's stuff really has to break perfectly for them, especially when it comes to, to threats in the paint. If they're not there, I think that they have a really good shot at making a run at this thing. All right. I, I think I went too long in this podcast without talking about the Suns. And uh, obviously, this is the team that I have a little bit more to say uh, when it comes to their um, their issues. But uh, let me let me take a drink real quick. It's English is hard, man. Talking for this long, it's pretty difficult, man. We can move to the Suns now. Um, I think I'm ready to say it. That book and Kevin Durant is the best duo in the entire league. You see the amount of wide open looks that both of them are generating, not only for, um. The rest of the team, like a CP, a DA at the basket, but you—I've seen, I've never seen so many more wide open looks uh, for Devin Booker or for Kevin Durant than I have in in the six games. Again, it's six games, and it's a small sample size. But everything at this point is going to be a small sample size. You know, ten games was going to be small, twenty games was going to be small. So i, I think either way you kind of had to base your opinion off of a small sample size. And from what I see from Booker and Durant on both ends, like Durant, you can very easily tell how much of a defensive impact that he's had for this team. He's been really good defensively with, uh, around a, like a block and a half a game on some incredible efficiency. And then Devin Booker is, uh, upping his scoring average, um, with Durant in the lineup, it's it's a really nice attack that I, I think it's going to be really hard to stop those two. With you know they have some really good fallback options. Da at the basket is still one of the best finishers in the game. CP, while he may not be what he was, he has a couple of those games where he can do really well in the float game, um, where he could do really well in the mid range in the catch and shoot three point department. And uh, yeah, his averages are down, all of it. But his catch and shoot three, his catch and shoot three points percentage has been much better, and he's shooting them at a better clip. And uh, you know we we need that. We need guys to hit their open shots, especially in the catch. And uh, I think that this is a team that I think the coaching has been pretty good the entire year. Uh I, I saw this point be made by one of my uh Twitter followers, one of my Twitter friends, uh, just mentioning just the amount of adversity that this team has had to go through with, you know, the distractions that was, you know, the sale of the team, the amount of laughs that everybody got um for losing in the game seven, losing against the Adelaide 36ers. Um the trade was just an emotional roller coaster for everybody on in the organization uh injuries galore with you know DA book Chris Paul Cam Johnson you know it was Kevin Durant now it's a lot that this team has had to go through and they still hold a top 10 defense in terms of defensive rating they're 7th they've been climbing i think that this has been uh you know very well coached well disciplined you know, to go through the adversity that they went through. And again, I think that any good team and any contender should be, uh, I think that they have to go through a level of adversity before they go on. Um, And the Suns certainly check that box off. And as much as I think the bench does get underrated by the general consensus. And I think that's just simply because there are teams with better benches, better personnel, I guess you could say. how Like how the Clippers do with Norman Powell, Eric Gordon coming off of the bench. Um, when we see M- Malcolm Brogdon be a six-man on a team, there's certainly better personnel, but you got guys that are microwave scorers with a Terrence Ross who can get really hot from beyond the arc. I mean, he's called the human torch for fuck's sake. And then you've got TJ Warren, who is all around in his scoring department. And he's shown so much better effort on the defensive end, which has always been an issue for him uh, throughout his entire career. And uh, I I guarantee that he had a conversation with Monty Williams when uh, he wasn't getting any playing time. And uh, now he's fitting the bill as a pretty good defender, a good effort guy a good offensive rebound guy and is able to hit his sh- open shots. And I'm very impressed with what TJ can do uh, off the bench, along with campaign who uh, can really force up some really stupid shots. But uh, when he's on, he's got a great all around game that consists of m- a lot of tough finishes at the basket, uh good catch and shoots, uh, situations, I think that they have three guys that can really get hot for you in a hurry off the bench, and I think that does bode well in a playoff setting where you need all the scoring that you could get. And uh, as much as I like everything about this team, as much as I I really like their chances at making the NBA Finals, my biggest concern with this team is Chris Paul. He needs to. He needs to check his ego a little bit. He needs to. He needs to take a step back a little bit. He's thirty seven, going on thirty eight. Uh, I was talking with a, a friend recently, just talking about the, um, you know, who would make it out at the Western Conference, and you know, he was making the case for the Nuggets and uh, why he doesn't think the Suns would, and it really depended on Chris Paul, and. Uh, I asked him about, uh, you know, I gave him the counter argument of, don't you think that he would change his play style a little bit, knowing that this is his absolute final opportunity to, to win a championship? And he said something along the lines of, old people don't change old habits. And uh, I kind of began to think about it. And what has he done that uh, holds him back from it all? And uh, I would recommend people to go watch um, a couple of games in the OKC uh, LA Clippers series in, I believe it was 2014, 2013, 2014. Um, I would also look back at the Rockets Clippers series in 2015 where they blew the 3-1 lead. And I would also look at um, Warriors Clippers as well, at least at, any point uh during the first finals run for the warriors um and beyond and uh he really does have an issue with looking off his star teammates especially when those guys are hot and when he's on a cold spell that's always been a really big thing about his game that uh he has this ego of saying hey i am one of the greatest point guards of all time one of the greatest players of all time i'm expected to be the leader that means i should be putting up the shots again i don't i don't think that's entirely how he thinks but you know i'm just playing the role you know he takes up a lot of shots that, you know a lot of number one options would and uh it it does not matter if he's hot or cold um and he just moves away from his point guard tendencies that he has always had, and I thought, all right, well, has this situation of looking off of his hot teammates, his, uh, um, his really good teammates, has he done that? Has he looked off? Has he looked them off? And uh, yeah, it, it did happen. Game four of the twenty twenty one NBA Finals, there was a moment where. I think Giannis got the block on DeAndre Ayton on the lob attempt. The Bucks go down, and they, are, uh, they don't score. And there's around 50 seconds left. Book is near the top of the key. He had 40 points, and he was the only one scoring for that team, it felt like. I think they were down like three or four. They had the opportunity to cut it down to a one-possession game. CP had, I believe, 10 points on sub 35% shooting six assists and five turnovers up until that point point. and he looks off book in order to enter a pick and roll situation with DeAndre Ayton and he tries to go into his snake dribble and uh somehow he slips loses the ball and it forces Devin Booker who had five fouls at that point in a three-on-one situation and uh he played good defense but uh, the Bucks scored, they extend the lead, and by that point, it was too late for the Suns. And uh, it really switched the momentum to Milwaukee's side the rest of the series. I'll, I'll put it like this. Mo- Chris Paul is, is playing with two of the three most talented players he's ever played with in his career. And those guys need the ball way more than a 37-going-on, 38-year-old player, um, declining player at that. and um, assuming that he's going to continue playing uh beyond this season there's already been rumors that he's pretty much on the way out and the Suns are going to look for a younger guard option there's no i'll say this there's no urgency for the Phoenix Suns to win a championship this year cuz they have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker under contract for multiple more seasons but this is absolutely Chris Paul's last opportunity to win an NBA championship. And he's got to be willing to adapt to playing with two of, uh, you know, two guys that need the ball way more than he does. And if he's unable to adjust and they don't win the finals, then he never deserved to win one. He can't, he He's too caught up in winning on his own terms, and I don't want him to be in that situation anymore. And he doesn't have to be. He's just got to adjust, and if he doesn't adjust, he's he's not going to improve on whatever his legacy is right now. Chris Paul is my biggest concern, but I really, I would like to believe that this, this being the best duo in the league and Durant being the best player, player on the court damn near at all times puts the Suns in a fantastic position to be uh, championship winners and I would peg them as the favorite out west man I I really don't think that this is going to be a hour 15 or hour 20 and under I've only talked about six teams and it's been 50 minutes so I'm gonna do my best to kind of Speed through these a little bit more. We'll go to the Clippers next. I think that they are the most well-rounded team in basketball. In you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, they still pose a problem on both ends of the floor. Zubats has been awesome this year, um, and I think it's just a well put together team with a fantastic X's and O's coach with Ty Lue, and uh, you know, I think that they have a fantastic rotation that you know, it's going to be really tough to cut down and trim that rotation. And that's going to be the main issue is just, you know, Eric Gordon. I think it's going to be in a playoff setting. It's probably going to be Westbrook, Paul George, Kawhi. I I've saw reports that Nick Batum is going to be starting with the rest of the year and Marcus Morris is going to be moved to the bench and Roko will be playing more. I I'm not sure how much I believe that. But uh, I'm going to still go with Marcus Morris and Ivica Zubots. And off the bench, you have Bones Highland, Terrence Mann, Norman Powell, Eric Gordon, Robert Covington, Mason Plumlee. And I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody else on that team. But that's a lot of good players that uh, aren't going to be playing. And it, it's going to have to be situational with the, the playoff series. But uh, things got a whole lot tougher with Paul George's knee sprain and uh, honestly i'm i'm very happy that it's not you know any, there's no structural damage but that's still a big blow um i think that it puts guys that would have been left out of the rotation probably on purpose um you know to be included in a playoff rotation uh at the beginning and that might be you know that's probably still going to be pretty hard to uh, um to overcome because you know, the gravity that Paul George brings to the table with a Kawhi Leonard, that's uh that's pretty that's as close to unguardable as it can be. Won't be the top duo, but that's a really good, really good duo. I I also just wonder, you know, if you know, the guys that they have coming off of the bench, if you know, the guys that they're gonna be cutting out of the rotation are are the losses that they are going to get um, from the guys that are being cut out the rotation? Will they be able to make up for it? Especially in the wake of a, a Paul George injury, not entirely sure. Is Westbrook's play sustainable? Is the team defense going to going to improve at all? Especially, you know, they've been uh, in the bottom half of the league when it comes to giving up uh, a high three point percentage. Um, they've been that way when it comes to a, um, the field goal percentage as well. They've been very inconsistent on that end. And I would say with Russell Westbrook, you still have, you still have a slight worry where he does put up these stinkers of, you know, four points, 12 points on really bad shooting, uh, nine points. He, but he also has these spurts of 24 points, 36 points, um, 24 points. And, uh, he's been he's all he's been really hit or miss with this clippers team and you re- you really do worry about you know his level of consistency is he going to fully take on a second option role for this team for the time being i don't fully trust in that i just don't i think the team defense is relatively questionable i think that they are up there with the suns as you know a, a top contender but i think it's really tough i think that there's uh too much concern where it's uh especially with paul george's injury that makes me hold back a little bit while also going ahead and saying that you know when paul george comes back there is no doubt about it that you know i don't want to face a team like the la clippers but uh you know sometimes teams have to be have to play whoever's in front of them and if they can't especially with all the depth that they have there's going to be some question marks i'll put it but i really like the clippers as much negative as i had in the last couple of minutes they're a fantastic team when when healthy can move over to the warriors i'm glad that was much quicker that wasn't too much to say um you know Steph just wills his team to victories so many times, and sometimes it's just not enough. He's had two fifty-point games this season where he lost them both and got blown out by double digits. It's just weird, but you know by all accounts he puts them in fantastic positions to win games, and just to that point you just can't discredit or discount or count out Steph, Clay, and Dre. You know, and and. There is good pieces around. Uh, it was reported that Andrew Wiggins is on the verge of coming back, and that's a, a nice addition to the team or re-addition to the team. Kuminga has been increasing his level of play as of late, um, kind of playing in that Jared Vanderbilt role. And, uh, you know, Clay's shot-making has been way better, uh, especially going back to, to January, the start of the calendar year. He has been so much better with uh, his shooting. I think he's shooting like 11 threes a game and shooting them at like a 44% clip. He has been, he's been good. And, uh, you know, you can't really count those guys out at all. But uh, th- there just seems to be something fundamentally wrong with this team. And I don't know if it dates back to Draymond sucker punching Jordan Poole in a practice. But uh, it just feels like there's just something wrong with this team. You know, we all understand how bad the road record is. You know, the weirdest thing is just seeing Dante DiVincenzo, who has been a consistent starter throughout this entire year. He averages 14 points per game at home and averages 7 on the road. That's half. cut. His average is cut in half just by being on the road. And I just saw last game they lost to the, the Jokic list Denver Nuggets, where we saw Steph and Clay just shoot really poorly, first of all. But uh, I'm, I very much want to look at their box score. I don't think it was good at all yet. Clay, 9 of 28 from the field, Steph, 8 of 28 from the field. And they lose by two, and Clay gets his shit swatted at the end by Jamal Murray. It's just weird. It's just a weird team. Um, the absence of Andrew Wiggins has hurt them and you definitely worry about his conditioning. Um, if he could just be immediately thrown back into the fire in a playoff setting where every game now counts. I just don't think that the I don't think that they're as big of a threat as they were last year. And it's weird. They have so many. The players that they have on their team, is it's damn near the same roster. And they're just not. There's just something broken. And I guess when it comes to, when there's something broken, it's pretty hard to piece everything back together. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe, you know, they get on a win streak at some point and And uh, they, you know, make a run at it. But. I have a hard time believing it, especially if they're just going to continue to lose games like this on the road multiple times over. I don't trust them as much, but you can't count that team out with three players of the pedigree, the championship pedigree of Steph, Clay, and Dre. Oh man, almost dropped my phone. We could go to, we'll go to the Pelicans you know Zion is coming back soon i think that'll be huge and i guess we could immediately go into you know that negative part that uh you have no idea when he's going to come back and whether we're going to have to see a a Brandon Ingram CJ McCollum led team in the playoffs again instead of Zion in the fold they'll they'll still pose a threat in terms of just being really pesky the entire time but i think you you trust over you trust every other team over the new orleans pelicans Without Zion Williamson, and uh, you know, we could go back to the positives. It's a Suns-centered system where we see decisions made very quickly. Uh, you see a lot of Spain pick and rolls where you know players at the top of the key get much more space to operate, um, where they generate a bunch of open looks in the corner, and it's a system that you know I believe in, I trust in. And it, for a majority of the season, they were playing with better personnel with a Zion, a Brandon Ingram, a McCollum. Uh, you have Trey Murphy out there, Valanchunas. It's a pretty deep squad. And uh, Brandon Ingram has been really hit, heating up over the last like 10 or so games. Let's look at his last 10 games. Um, he's been shooting so he's had in the last you know couple of games 36 points 31 points 26 29 32 30 32 26 31 in the last what is that one two three four five six seven eight nine games he's had had a couple of triple doubles in there as well he's been heating up at the right time and that's you know as close to Kevin Durant as we're gonna get in this seat, in uh, you know, in this league, and uh, he could really pose a problem come playoff time, uh, and he could really inc- increase his level of play. Uh, you know, good depth pieces around. You know, Trey Murphy is one of my favorite players in the league. He's been really great on both ends off the bench. They have Larry Nance, who isn't much of a, a stretch big, but I think that I could rely on him. Uh, to really crash the boards. That's where he's made his name. Uh, Jose Alvarado, especially defensively, you see what he can bring um, as just uh, an irritant, a pesk, whatever you want to call him. It's a bench that I, I think I believe in that top three in the rotation a lot. And if you have a Zion Williamson coming back, I think that you have ample opportunities to make a run. I think Zion healthy is an extremely scary team that I think no team should count out. But, uh, you know, you really have a hard time envisioning Zion immediately coming back and immediately rising in a playoff setting. It's pretty hard to do that. It's pretty rare to do that. Um, and McCollum has just been very weird and up and down uh, throughout the entire season. I think... Um, Again, there's been a lot of me having to look up stuff. It's still twenty point six assists four boards. And the wow, the efficiency has been has been there. But uh I don't know, man. I just don't think that he is a a modern day point guard. I think that defensively he sticks out as well. Um I think that as a number two, he hasn't been that great. And that's just off of the eye test when it comes to, you know, orchestrating an offense, being a defender out there, a team defender, at least. It just has not been um, pleasant to my eyes at all. And uh, Valanchunas, he's a weird, weird center, unique center where he makes, you know, he'll have a couple of games where he'll, he'll shoot and make like five or six threes in a game. There's some games where he just doesn't shoot threes at all and he's he's dominant in the post and on the offensive boards. Um he's always been really good at hooking his defenders and um especially in the post and allowing himself to create space, uh, draw fouls, crash the boards, but it's like not good enough to you know, the skill set's not good enough to swing games, but it's good enough to be a starting center in the league it's just he feels like a weird bridge center and uh as much as i believe in the bench again you still worry about cutting the rotations a little bit and you just wonder if this is just another lost season you know zion being out and being out for as long as he has been really sucks for them and i think that with uh i just I don't envision him being back in the playoffs. I don't. I think it's just another lost season. And um, and that's unfortunate because they really started off the season really well. And at this point, you could just really start being concerned about, you know, health going forward. But I think that this is a team that uh, is always on paper going to pose a threat. But I don't know, man. They're They're a tough team to evaluate. Where I don't fully believe in CJ McCollum at all, but I believe in Zion enough to make that team a championship contender. I guess that's where I'll end it with them. Jesus, we're, excuse me, we're already coming up on an hour, uh, over an hour. Go with the Minnesota Timberwolves now. You know, the team is starting to click at a pretty good time. Uh, Cat being back in the lineup helps them in the shooting and scoring department. And you don't really have to rely on Mike Conley. Or even Jaden McDaniels. Is, I, I like Jaden McDaniels. He defended Kevin Durant really fucking well. He really did a great job on him. Um, he's going to be one of their unsung heroes this entire year because he, he really held up really nicely um, for the Timberwolves this entire year, especially when Cat was out with that calf injury. Conley has been great for them. Uh, especially in the playmaking department, and you know, that it's definitely a far cry from the scoring that they were going to be getting from Delo if they kept him. But uh, Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert already have this chemistry down that um, I think is working. It's working in Minnesota as well. And uh, they just have a lot of length with McDaniels. Towns has the length, he doesn't have the defensive chops at all. But, uh, you know, he has the length necessary. You got Rudy, you got Conley, Edwards, Anderson, um, Torian Prince as guys that, you know, have great length that is just bothersome to so many people. And, you know, I think they match up relatively well uh, with a lot of teams. I think that if Vanderbilt starts, I think that they pose a nice threat against the Lakers. I think that they uh, are going to make it tough for a team like the Lakers, the Suns, who you know, teams that have players that you could hide your worst defender on because they're just bad shooters, and you could clog the paint a little bit. I think that the Wolves could do that uh, against certain teams, but again, they're they're matchup dependent. I don't really believe in um, that defensive big pairing of go bear and cat uh, much at all I think you know it started off pretty badly and you know it's gonna be you know it's gonna be another small sample size but well from, from what I've seen from the big man duo it's it's not very promising to me um I don't think there is enough scoring I think that uh, as good as Jaden McDaniel's is as an offensive and defensive versatile um like Swiss army knife I I don't think that I could I don't want to use him as a third option. Um, and I think there's not, there's not uh, an effective guard to come off the bench that could give any of their guys a break. You know, I don't believe in Austin rivers at all. Um, and I don't feel that way about McLaughlin, Jalen Noel, even Nikhil Alexander Walker, who's a good player, but uh I, I'm not in particular um, worried about those guys at all. I think you're easily able to pick apart a Gobert Towns duo, especially if you need a double team. You know, I think that the rotations are still going to be messed up, and uh, the Nasreed injury really does hurt him. Man, he—he he, he, I think he broke his wrist. He's going to be out a minimum six weeks, and that just sucks. He's been so good coming off of the bench. He. And that would have been such a strength for them in the playoffs, having, you know, you have the length, you have the defensive chops necessary uh, to be bothersome, but you have three centers that provide totally different skill sets with Cat as a shooter, Gobert as a defender, and Nas Reed as a playmaker. He's been really good with his handle and getting to the rim. He has good touch around the basket. He's been bothersome on defense as well. I really liked Nas Reed this year, and it's such a bummer because, you know, I, I was really looking forward to seeing him in a playoff setting where he could dominate backup bigs. And uh, we're just not going to see that. That leaves out a completely different element in the uh, um, in the rotation, and we're not going to get that anymore, and that sucks. You know, maybe try next year. You might not have Nas Reed next year because I think he's a free agent. But, uh,. It's just tough luck for Minnesota. It really does feel like a Minnesota thing for Nas to get hurt, but I hope he heals up real soon. Really like him, and uh, seriously, good luck to the T Wolves. They've been a uh, they've been weird, but uh, I think that they could pose an interesting issue to a number of guys. And it sucks right now that uh, I left like the most intriguing team. Uh, off for the last t- team to talk about, the L.A. Lakers. You know, LeBron's still one of the greatest in the game. And he's he's just shown no signs of slowing down. He's been dominant ever since the, the calendar year. And you've you, you got some bench pieces coming together, even with some of the missed time here you know, we've had D'Lo, who's not a bench piece, but he's a starter that needs the reps to, you know, upgrade this team. And he hasn't gotten too many reps. Um, You have uh, Jared Vanderbilt, who has been in there. You have Malik Beasley. You have Mo Bamba missing some time as well. But, uh, you know, the pieces are coming together. I think you have a pretty good core of like a dennis schroeder and austin reeves um who else do we want to see coming off the bench like i guess like a lonnie walker i'm trying to think of guys and i'm just kind of blanking but uh the bench pieces are good and have been rising as of late vanderbilt i i really like uh, I think he's gotten—it's weird to say that he's gotten too much love, but I've seen Dennis Rodman comparisons by Lakers Twitter and the Lakers YouTubers, and I'm just kind of turned off now. <laughs> but uh, th- there's no doubt about it that he's been such a good piece for them. Uh, taking on you know the most difficult defensive matchups and doing a pretty good job on them. Uh, you have the the threat of Anthony Davis and D'Angelo Russell. AD has played well in the last couple of games. And uh, I guess that's to the extent of it. You know, he's been really good uh, in the paint on both ends of the floor. And uh, Austin Reeves has increased his level of play. And uh, that's one of their unsung heroes this entire year, who has been a bright spot, especially as of late getting to the free throw line, being a playmaker, and uh, just being smart. And uh, that's... Something that this LA Lakers team needs. They just need smart players, and they got that with them. I guess, you know, i they look more and more like contenders with the, peop- with the people and the players that are coming together. And I, I'm reluctantly saying that because, you know, there hasn't been too big of a sample size with LeBron in the lineup. And uh, I think that's where their issues start to come in, you know, that a LeBron team... Any LeBron team that comes together and is like completely new, they have a really hard time with um, that immediate adjustment period. You know, that Miami team that came together in 2010 11, they started off 9 and 8. The Cleveland Cavaliers that first time around, um, you know, they were openly calling each other out LeBron, Kyrie, Kevin Love. Um, The Lakers team, they didn't even make the playoffs the first year. And there's a legit adjustment period when it comes to playing with LeBron that makes me think, huh, LeBron's been out a while. There's been a bunch of guys that have been out a while. You wonder if that can gel right before the playoffs. Especially since you know LeBron's not this plug-and-play player he's a guy that can elevate your roster, but he's not a plug and play guy. Like you would envision with a Steph, a Kevin Durant. And you just wonder if like, it's just too little too late for this stuff to come together and come together better for a finals run. Um, 80 is not the same as he was, you know, he just can't space the floor anymore. And, uh, the The aggressiveness that you see from Anthony Davis is super inconsistent. I really don't like the the inconsistencies that we're seeing of you know shooting nine shots, then going into eighteen shots, then shooting below forty percent from the field. It's very weird with him. And uh, I think on the perimeter, I think you could attack Anthony Davis as much as the length is bothersome. I just don't think that he is. The I don't think he's as big of a threat defensively as he was. Fantastic in the paint, though. He is a fantastic paint player. But I think there is a ceiling when it comes to having a paint player. This is a completely different player than uh, the Anthony Davis that they had when they won the NBA Finals all those years ago. The bench might be relied on a little too heavily. I think they rely too much on an Austin Reeves, and I just think who is he going to be playing over? Because I I really do think Malik Beasley's gravity is important to this team. Um, You know, you kind of think about Vanderbilt and you know how he's going to be put in that Akogi role, uh, where he is just going to be left wide the fuck open, and he just can't hit a damn shot. Uh, Okogi has been hitting his shot a little bit more in this calendar year. But uh, Vanderbilt just has not shown in a consistency level on uh, at any stretch this season from beyond the arc. He he doesn't really attack the basket too much. It's usually off of some basket cuts that he gets fed on. And uh, everything else has got to be created created for him. And if he's going to be left wide open, he's got to be able to shoot it. And he doesn't really shoot it much. And it makes the op- makes him on offense just damn near unplayable, and that puts the team in a difficult spot. And uh, as much negatives as I w- I've been pointing out, because at the end of the day, you know there definitely is a level of concern with every single one of these teams. I do like how the Lakers have been playing as of late, especially with LeBron returning, which has been surprising. You wonder how much longer this you know, little honeymoon period, you know, and you know, how long it lasts. And uh, as of late, they've looked like legit contenders. But everybody at any point in the season has looked like a legit contender. And it just makes me so excited for this year's playoffs, man. I think that we're going to see some crazy stuff uh, and crazy matchups happen in the first round. And I'm sure we're going to talk about it on the radio show, but man, I can't uh I can't contain my excitement for it all. It's gonna be such a fun playoff run. But uh that's all the teams and uh it's just around like that hour twenty minute mark, and that's pretty accurate. But goddamn, I really need to figure out how to condense all of this because man, I do a really bad <laughs> I do a really bad job with Condensing stuff. I just got so much stuff going on in my head when it comes to this basketball stuff. I can't get my mind off of it sometimes. But uh, that's the end of this episode. Again, tune in to, to Triple Double uh, on Blaze Radio Online every Tuesday from 4 to 5 Arizona time. We all have a blast doing it and I love just talking basketball. As you could tell, this is a fucking... You could just count the amount of episodes that I've done. And uh, you know some other stuff. I- I'm not so sure when I'm going to be recording next, but I think eventually I'm gonna get to talk about football again. Starting to get back into it a little bit, especially when it's mock draft season and whatnot. Um, congrats to Iowa and not Iowa. Jesus, they lost LSU, and who won today? UConn. Yeah. Congrats to those two teams on winning the NCAA championship. So that also means it's draft season in the NBA. It's time to get my get my big board ready again. I'm going to do another one on uh, fanspo.com. Try to get another draft board out there of like 40 to 50 players. So that's, you know, draft season is one of my favorite times of the year. I'm very excited for it. Playoffs, I'm very excited for it. Um, I have one more thing that I was going to say. That's right um I know that I don't have the uh I don't have too many friends that are as invested into this uh, into the sports world I guess you could say like either basketball or football uh, as much as I am. I'm gonna be creating a second podcast. I have one you know I already got the logo and everything but uh I think that's gonna be. I'm not sure when I'm going to record. I had a guest lined up for it, but uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna have to reschedule that. But I'm I'm excited for it. It's you know not anything really you know professional sports related at all. We're just gonna talk about life and whatnot, man. And I know that um I I I'm gonna try to create something that can be a little bit um. I hope that I could target a bigger audience with this podcast than with uh the sports one. I think the sports is a little bit selective um and situational, but I think that uh you know, if we're just talking about everyday things and I bring on some guests that uh the viewership could go up a little bit more. And I'm excited for it. I think uh I think you guys would really like it and I'll let y'all know when uh this second podcast is up and running. But uh, that will do it for today. Again, go go check out the radio show. Go follow me on Twitter at Ian B. Monge. And that's the end of this episode. You know, we we're done here. I'll see y'all next time.